I think it's important to think about all the things we have working against us. So when we have wage gaps, we earn less. When there's the pink tax, we spend more. When we have less money and more spending, there's more debt. And when debt is more expensive, just because you're a woman or a person of color. So I think all of these things are interrelated. Welcome back to our second episode of Skim This, The State of Women, our mini-series offering a look into the realities that millennial women in the U.S. face today. Overworked and overdone. I'm exhausted. We despair the state of the world. It's too much. It's not working. I hate this job. My life is a dumpster fire. It's really hard being a mother. Being a wife. Second-class citizens. I'm so tired. Last week, we told you about how women are tired of letting society dictate what their role should be and how they're looking to reclaim their most valuable asset, time. And today, we're talking all about women and their money and how they're securing their financial futures despite an uncertain economic environment. I'm your host, Alex Carr. Let's get into it. We all know that women face plenty of hurdles to building wealth, thanks to things like discrimination and the gender pay gap. And when you combine those systemic issues with a weird economy that includes high inflation, on my way to the grocery store, mentally preparing myself, high interest rates, it's been decades since the Fed has acted this aggressively to slow inflation, relatively low unemployment, Recently, we've had a bit of a spook with higher than normal jobs. But also layoffs. Recent workforce reductions by Twitter, Meta, Lyft, Salesforce, and other tech companies. An unaffordable housing market. That milestone is becoming more and more out of reach for a lot of us. And concerns about the stock market. Stocks tumble today as fears grow over the stability of the banking industry. It's safe to say women are acutely feeling the rising financial pressures. Overwhelmingly, the thing we heard that women said cost them the most was caretaking. Right now, the cost of raising a child in America is higher than ever, clocking in at an average of $310,000, according to the Brookings Institution. That's a shitload of money. And when you combine that with the fact that millennial women are part of the sandwich generation, which means they're tasked with being financially responsible for their parents and their families, that's even more money coming out of women's pockets. In fact, 60% of our State of Women survey respondents told us they're concerned about supporting extended family members financially during an economic downturn. To cope with these rising costs, women have been saving less for retirement, which is not ideal, considering women generally live longer than men. So that's the state of play. Women are feeling financially overstretched. And 80% of women we asked said they're worried about how the current economy will affect their financial health. But we also learned they're taking action to future-proof their finances. So what are they doing? Well, 75% said they're already developing or planning to develop a long-term financial plan. 66% said they're focused on adding more passive income streams. 62% said they're going to prioritize their own self-care and well-being when spending their discretionary income. 
And finally, the number one thing women are doing to secure their financial future is paying down their debt. Right now, women hold two-thirds of America's student loan debt, thanks in large part to the pay gap. Not to mention, as inflation has made everyday life less affordable, more Americans have been leaning on their credit cards. And having debt is particularly stressful and expensive right now thanks to high interest rates. Debt is also a topic that's tricky, taboo, and emotional. So we want to talk about it, how to pay it off, what kinds of debt to pay first, and how to free yourself from financial shame and set yourself up for success in the future. And here to help us do that is Ashley Feinstein Gersley, the founder of The Fiscal Femme and the creator and author of The 30-Day Money Cleanse. We'll hear from Ashley after the break. Ashley, I want to start by asking you about how our relationship to debt has changed over the last few years, especially for women. It's a really good question. I think the pandemic definitely shifted priorities a lot. And there was a big chunk of time where we said no to a lot of things because we had to. So we stayed in, we didn't travel, we couldn't travel. And so I do think there has been a rebound in spending that has sustained (laughs) over the time where things have opened up. And there has been a feeling of enjoying our money. But I think there's still a ton of shame surrounding debt. And I think that can really make it challenging to pay it down because if we're punishing ourselves for the debt we have, it makes it hard to give ourselves this gift of actually paying it down. Can you just say more about the shame piece around debt and how that's actually the number one thing that can stand in people's way? Yes. So I think there's been a branding of debt as being bad and definitely can make things more challenging. It can be really expensive as far as interest rates. But just because we have debt does not mean we're bad. Sometimes it wasn't even a bad choice, quote unquote bad choice. But I think it's important to think about all the things we have working against us. So when we have wage gaps, we earn less. When there's the pink tax, we spend more. When we have less money and more spending, there's more debt. And when debt is more expensive, just because you're a woman or a person of color. So I think all of these things are interrelated. Plus money in general is just something that's challenging. It's not something we typically learn about growing up. It's not something that's often comfortable to talk about, even with our closest friends and family. And so when we're trying to tackle this subject that we have to deal with money every single day, pretty much, but we're not set up for success. I think it's helpful to think about all those components so that we can have some compassion for ourselves that if we did spend more than we'd like, or we did get in a situation where we made some decisions we're not happy with, it's not because we're just bad with money or we're never going to get good at this. It's something that we can improve on and learn about and get better at. And I think that can really shift the shame around debt. And I also think it's helpful to look at what the debt is, because sometimes you can point to a health issue or a job loss or a specific purchase. So debt is just money we owe for something we bought. So when we take that emotion out of it, I admit that is a hard thing to do, but that can really change the game with how we're able to pay it off. I want to get practical here and just ask you to walk me through the different types of debt people can have. And based on that, how that changes the strategy of what kind of debt you should pay off first. 
It's a really great question. So one of the, I think the first steps to making a plan to manage and pay off our debt is to actually look at what we have. And for many, that can be the hardest step because we think that when we don't know what's happening, it's going to be less stressful and it's sometimes feels better to not know, but it actually creates a lot of stress not knowing. And often we're imagining it's something worse than it is. So actually looking at what debt we have and taking inventory, like listing out what it is. So naming the debt, what's the interest rate, what's the balance, what are my monthly payments, what's the limit or the minimum payment if it's a credit card is a really helpful step in just getting it all down. Like what are we dealing with here? And the various types of debt to answer your question that could be on that list could be credit cards, mortgages, student loans, personal loans, any type of financing you made on a boat, a car, or sometimes it's not even a formal piece of debt. It's, I owe my friend money for that trip last year and I haven't paid them back. Or my parents let me this and I'm, or my aunt and uncle and I'm paying them back. So it could be a formal piece of debt with a bank or a lender, but it also could be friends and family. Once you list out your debt, like the formal debt, maybe the more informal debt or loans from a friend, how do you figure out what debt is the most urgent to pay off? So I'd say when you think about the priorities of our financial goals, having that rainy day emergency fund, then 401k matching if you had it just because it's 100% return right away. But after that, usually is listed credit card debt. And I do think the interest rate how expensive credit card debt is. I think the average interest rate is around 17%. But honestly, when I look at clients' credit cards, it's usually more like 20, 25% when I'm seeing their interest rate. So that's why it's usually a top priority is that it just costs so much more money than someone's mortgage or student loan typically, just because the interest rate is higher. When you decide how to prioritize, I look at actually three methods. The first is the avalanche method, That is a great method for people who have a very high interest rate piece of debt that is costing them a lot of money, or they're really driven by numbers and really want to just save the most money by paying off the highest piece of debt first. The snowball method tends to work really well as well because we get to check something off our list. And so it might not necessarily be the highest interest rate piece of debt, but it's you start with the smallest piece of debt because you get to say that is gone and that feels really good to to cross one of them off your list. Yeah, it's psychological. Yes, and it builds motivation, it builds momentum. You also get to take that payment and put it towards something else, so it frees up a payment. And sometimes it works out that the smallest piece of debt is also <laughs> the highest interest rate. So you can definitely use a combination of the methods. And then the third that I talk about is the emotional method. And so that might mean It's driving you bananas that you owe your friend money, or you have had the worst experience with this bank and you never want to deal with them again. Maybe it's not the smallest piece. Maybe it's not the highest interest rate, but you want to pay that one off first and it's going to give you the most emotional relief. That's also something to take into consideration. I think with prices so high right now, something people are struggling with is where to actually find the money in their budget to pay off their debt. And so I'm curious how you advise the people you work with to find that money in their budget. So one of the tendencies I see, and I totally understand it, is to put more money towards our debt than we can afford to. And 
I get why we do that. It feels so good that our paycheck comes in. We want to put a chunk of money towards our debt and get that paid off. But then what happens is we don't have enough money to live our lives, pay our bills. And so we end up having to put charges back on the credit card. And that can feel really dissatisfying, like we're on this hamster wheel, we're never making progress. So I would say if you can to not spend on the cards, if it's a credit card that you're trying to pay down. And I also find if budgeting, putting a debt payment in your budget works well, great. But if it does not, I am a big fan of using a cash tracker because it's a better reflection of what cash you actually have available and mapping out what you're spending. And so the exercise that I go through is looking, starting with what's actually in your bank account, and then what are you going to spend looking at your spending or what bills are due or what you have to pay, or if you have a host gift, whatever it is, going through the next whatever days that you have until you have more income and actually mapping out where each dollar is going to go. And I find that works a lot better because if we just put, okay, I'm putting 300 towards my debt this month in the plan, and then somehow at the end of the month, there's not that $300 there, it can be unclear where that money is coming from. So I find that is a really good method. And then where to take the money from, I think aligning. So remembering that paying off our debt, and this goes back to the shame and allowing ourselves to give ourselves our goals thinking about how great it would feel or how much we want to pay down that debt, it can make it easier when we're making choices whether or not to spend something if it's worth it to us. Of course, there are many cases where there aren't things that we can decrease. Without a major lifestyle change, there's not going to be more room. But there are cases, definitely I have experienced it many times, where I decide to do something less frequently and it actually becomes more of a treat when I do something less frequently and becomes something I enjoy more when I do it. And so just keeping in mind that opportunity cost that when I'm making a choice to spend on something that is not a necessity that, okay, am I going to get more joy from this or getting to put that towards my debt balance? What you just said is so interesting to me because that's actually something I personally experienced kind of spending more on my debt than I could actually afford to. How do you break that mindset cycle then? Because it does feel really good to put so much money down and see that balance dip way lower. I feel like we tend to be financial optimists in life <laughs> in a lot of ways. So like when we're putting together a budget, we might very underestimate what we're spending in a certain area. Or we think, oh, I don't know exactly what that bill is. So I'm going to round to the nearest 10 or 20. And often we're rounding down without realizing it. And so I do think... Sometimes when we're not acknowledging that there's enough money to pay the high credit card bill, it's an optimism thing. Like, we're going to figure it out. And I do think a lot of it is experience. Like, once you go through two cycles where you've tried to pay it off and you had to put more on and now it hasn't moved, you know, that's when you're like, oh, I don't think this is working. Kind of like for me, when I was just starting to look at my personal finances and spending way more than I wanted, I was not saving. And I didn't realize that if I, I wasn't paying myself first and I kept saying, if I just earn more money, I'll start saving. And I never did. So I think sometimes it takes living it and experiencing it to have that mindset shift, but also doing kind of a reality gut check and looking at that credit card bill compared with what your income is and mapping it out for those who are open to looking at that budget, I think can also just 
help us look at what's manageable. Another way I see people build their credit card debt without realizing is for the larger irregular expenses. So like if you have a trip and you have to book the flights for it, a lot of times we budget by the week or by the month and we're not including those bigger things that come up like even a haircut that we're not getting very often or a trip or a wedding or the holidays, those type of things. If we don't plan in advance for or set money aside for, we're going to put them on our credit card. It's going to be larger than our normal monthly bill and it's going to feel like a hurdle to get that paid off. We've spoken about this a little bit, but I think something I've seen a lot of people struggle with is this balance, right, between learning from your experiences and also giving yourself permission to not feel shame around something. Do you find that that's just a challenging line for people to walk in general? Yes, it is so challenging. And it to me, it comes back to the growth mindset, this idea that we can get better at this. And it's not a skill that we're born with or someone's just good with money or bad with money. So as much as possible, and I agree, it's very easy to go into a shame place or a feeling bad about yourself place. And maybe you go there, but then think, okay, I'm going to play detective here. What happened? What can I do next time to set myself up for success? remembering all those things that we have working against us. Also, I think because personal finance isn't something that we talk about openly, it's getting better, but we're not realizing that our friend who's sitting across from us at brunch is struggling with the same thing. And so it can feel very lonely and like we're the only ones who don't know. And that makes it even more shameful. But if we're talking about it and realizing, oh my gosh, everybody's experiencing this, it can feel like we're less alone. It can feel like there's nothing wrong with us. So I think that is one way to navigate it. And I think generally in our personal finances, we're going to make mistakes. And to say generally, if I'm being intentional, conscious, 80% of the time, making positive money moves in my life, that I have to let myself have some mistakes and learn from those mistakes. So I definitely think it's a, a challenge and a balance, but anyone experiencing that is really everyone. <laughs> Another element of debt that I think people are really curious about is how to pay off their debt but also save their money or invest their money at the same time. What advice do you give around that? It's a great question. So goals come down a lot to our relationship with debt personally. So I know some people who just really want to pay down their debt as quickly as possible, regardless of the interest rate. Maybe it's a student loan, but that's their number one priority and they want to get rid of it. So that might influence whether they're investing while they're paying down their debt how much they're saving. Whereas someone else might be very comfortable having student loans. I know doctors who own homes and are just paying their student loan as this almost like a monthly car payment. And so I think your relationship to debt is very important and it will guide how you decide to pay off your debt. But typically when you get into debt, if your debt's under a 7% interest rate, it often makes sense to invest at the same time. The challenging thing is when you make that decision, you don't really know what the market's going to do in those couple of years when you decide to prioritize both. You know that over the long term, the market has done better than that 7% adjusting for inflation. So that is the challenging piece of it. But you can definitely invest and pay down debt. Is there somewhere you recommend people go to create their debt plan? Like, are there tools that make this easier for people? 
It's a great question. So I do have a debt tracker for those people who are comfortable in Excel or Google Sheets and want to be managing it in a tactile way. I have the debt tracker, which essentially is a place to list out the pieces of debt, to prioritize them. And then from there, you have your kind of debt pay down recipe. That's a tool that works well for me. Some people love, so motivation in this process is really important. And it can be really fun to make a graphical or a artistic representation of your debt, whether it's like having something on your fridge that you rip off every time you pay down another 50 or another 100, or you color it in or setting up milestones. That could be, here's something small I do at the quarter way point. Here's something I do at the halfway point. Here's something I do when it's all paid off. To set up these rewards, I think works really well too for us. Most people respond well to rewards and incentives. Yeah. Ashley, is there anything we haven't talked about that you think our audience should keep in mind when it comes to beginning or resuming their journey paying off debt? I would say for those who struggle with credit cards, because I think one of the challenges with credit cards is that we don't feel the pain of spending right away. And we don't feel the benefit of spending less right away because you wait until you pay for that monthly payment. So something that can help have our bank account better reflect our financial reality is to pay off our credit card balance each week. So that when we look at our bank statement or our banking balance, it actually is reflecting the cash that we have versus the delayed effect of spending on a credit card. The other thing I see that can be helpful is if you book expenses through work, like you have travel that your company reimburses, I find it can be really helpful to have a separate credit card for that just because sometimes there are delays in getting the expenses reimbursed or if there are a lot of charges on our credit card, there can be this like relativity issue where if you have a balance that feels big, small expenses feel like nothing to add on to them. And so that's another issue too with using our credit cards as we're paying them off. It's like, oh, what's a little charge here because this balance feels so big. So that's another reason, I think, first to be able to, to stop spending on credit cards if you can when you're paying them down to keep it very clear and separate what is the balance versus adding to it. And then also that can be really helpful if you have large expenses that you book through work and get reimbursed for. I'm glad you brought up that relativity issue because I've been there. I, I know what it's like to just be like, OK, I'll get another thing on Zara and it doesn't matter. But it does matter. <laughs> well, Ashley, thank you so much. It was great to talk to you. Yes. Thank you for having me. After speaking to Ashley, we got to thinking about the other major money goal our respondents had developing and following a long-term financial plan. For some people, that process includes hiring financial planners or money coaches to help with goal setting and mapping out your financial future. So how do you know if you should even hire someone to help? Well, one sign is you've exhausted your own knowledge. If you're all out of ideas for how to hit your financial goals, hiring a pro could pay off. You also might consider hiring someone if you've recently had a big life change. Maybe you got a big raise, you had a baby, got divorced, and you're not sure how to approach your finances accordingly. And the final sign you might wanna hire someone is if you won't do it yourself or you keep putting off managing your money. And that's totally okay. Hiring someone else to do it for you can help you make money moves without having to be so hands-on with your finances. 
So if any of those are ringing a bell, you might wanna consider hiring a financial planner. But knowing how to start that process and find the right person for you can be tricky. Luckily, Ashley gave us some advice on what to look for and what questions to ask them before you sign on the dotted line. Her first tip is to make sure your financial planner is a credentialed professional. There are a lot of finance experts out there and they all can do slightly different things for you. So you wanna make sure no matter who you end up hiring that you get what you're paying for by checking their certification on the designations website. Some common credentials include CFPs, CHFCs, CFAs, CPAs, and CRCs. A lot of acronyms there, but you get the point. Once you've checked their credentials, you wanna make sure that someone is fee only, which means they make their money only from the fee you pay them. And you wanna make sure that they're a quote fiduciary, which basically means they put your interests above their own. Kind of like when a lawyer has to recommend what's best for their client. And Ashley told us your relationship with whoever you hire is crucial. So when you're looking around, you can and should ask them all of the questions. Some good ones she's found useful include, how do you get paid? What does the fee structure look like? How will our relationship work? What are your credentials? And how do you pick investments? Do you have an investment philosophy? As for some of the red flags, you want a financial planner who listens to you and answers your questions. If someone's being condescending or telling you to just trust them, you should probably move on. In our show notes, we're gonna be linking out to our guide about different types of financial experts. And we're gonna leave a link to Ashley's debt tracker. Skim this, the state of women will be back in your feed again next Thursday. And we're gonna be taking a look at the state of women and their health. Thanks for listening and catch you next week. This episode was skimmed by me, Alex Carr, along with Andrew Calloway and Ellie McAfee-Hahn.